the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are continuing our series in the book of Job. Today we find ourselves looking at chapter 15. Eliphaz rips into Job. Join us, Abounding Grace, with Pastor Gary Wagner is coming up next. You've heard the statement, with friends like these, who needs enemies? That's kind of what we find here in Job chapter 15 as Eliphaz starts ripping into Job, accusing him of not understanding who God is. Well, who is it that really understands God? And how do you and I benefit from that view today? That's what we're looking at here in Job 15. Won't you join us? From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, Here's Pastor Gary Wagner and today's edition of Abounding Grace. Today we begin a new phase of Job's friends' diatribes against him. And they don't have much new to say, beloved. But what they do say, they say much more sharply. If you remember very early in this study... I told you that Job's friends make a bad case actually quite well. That, of course, is not original with me. But I do think now, here in chapter 15, there is a change that takes place. The bad case they are making now, they are making badly. Because here is their main argument against Job, very simply. Job, you're not even listening to us. Therefore, you are stubborn. That is their case. And it is weak. And it is slanderous. Now, they condemn him for being windy and wordy and stubborn and arrogant. But their main argument is, Job, everything that we have already said, you should have listened to it. And because you didn't listen to it, you are obviously arrogant and stubborn. Therefore, we're going to tell you the same thing, but we're going to tell you it more strongly than we have said before. But at the same time, much of what they say is still useful for us. We can well apply it to our lives, and it is understandable why the Holy Spirit has preserved this section of God's Word for us today. Now, this particular chapter, I'm going to really merely summarize, because it is a long chapter, but it makes four main points. The first point is in verses 1 through 16, where Eliphaz the supposed wisest of Job's friends, and most probably the oldest, makes six charges against Job. Then in verses 17 through 19, he says, Job, listen to me, 
And I'll tell you what's going on here. Then in verses 20 through 30, he repeats, Job, this is what God is doing in your life. This is the truth. You need to listen to me. And then in verses 31 through 35, he says, Job, be careful. Because wicked people like you have a horrible destiny. So it's not pretty. Eliphaz stands up here as judge, jury, and executioner. You know, one of the things we learn before we get started on these four points is, number one, we've got to be very careful that we don't stubbornly hold to our own opinions like these friends of Job did. Job was taking them to heights of truth that they had never received before that they could have never ascended to. But because the messenger was so broken, they wouldn't listen to him. You know, this guy is no longer prospering. He's not healthy in the least little bit. His kids have all died. But we often learn that God gives his wisdom to us through very lowly, broken, and humble instruments. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ, for instance. Remember, that was one of the reasons his own countrymen would ask, Who is this man? Oh, we know his father and his mother. His brothers are among us. But who is he to have such wisdom? So Jesus was scorned. But very often, you remember, God uses those who are poor in terms of this world's judgment, poor in goods, poor in position of life, having nothing. He uses them, as James said in chapter 2, verse 5, to be rich in faith. So we need to be real careful that we don't doggedly hold on to our own opinions And we need to remember, as Job's three friends did not, that just because the preacher or the teacher or the brother and the sister in the congregation come to us with advice, they may not understand the situation as well as we do. And maybe they haven't had the life experiences that we have had, and so we sometimes need to take their advice with a grain of salt and possibly... Ignore it altogether. But there is a great truth here. Given us through the one who was broken. Whom when you looked at him, you would literally think he was a dog. He was covered, of course, this is Job, with oozing sores. Calamity was dogging his every step and he is now weeping out loud to God. But he is the only one who has any clue as to what is really going on. Some of God's best servants have been the most broken, the most despised, and had very little outwardly to attract. And yet God used them and uses them to be vessels of truth. So do you see how silly the expectations of many of the church are? You know, let's look for the slickest. 
let's look for the guy who smiles the best, who's got the best hair, who's got all these great gimmicks. And yet as we listen, he is just mouthing junk. Who knows what? Pretending to be speaking the word of God. But Job was speaking the word of God. But Eliphaz wasn't listening because he judged the message by the package. And we cannot ever do that, beloved. Paul told the Corinthians, I know I'm contemptible. You look at me and think, who is that guy to have such wisdom? Now, he was probably diminutive in nature. He had a problem, as you know, with his eyes that was rather unbecoming. Paul was not the most attractive speaker. He wrote wonderful letters of exhortation and encouragement. And yet he didn't speak very eloquently. And the congregation was looking down at him. Remember in 2 Corinthians... He spends much of his letter trying to defend this very point. Don't judge the message by the package. Because God uses the weak and the lowly and the despised to bring down the high and the mighty. And you know that works very well for us. When we are supposed to give witness out into the world. Because how does the world look at Christians? Does anyone say, hey, listen. You know, we're having a corporate meeting this afternoon. So let's have all the Christians come up front and let them do all the talking. Now, of course, if you and I held a corporate position of influence, that would be different. But that is not normally how things are done. And do we ever hear, let's let those who believe in the Bible tell our nation what to do. Of course not. Now, I do believe that there will definitely come a time when Christians will dominate the business world. And God's word will be sought by all the corporate leaders. But today, it is those who believe in the Bible who are literally thrown to the lions or to the dusty places of obscurity. The world doesn't want to hear from us. But we must remember something. All that glitters is not gold. And that is a very biblical principle when it comes to speaking the word of God. So when you're out in the world, the world does not think of you as gold. The world literally thinks of you as dung when you stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. David said, though, in Psalm 45.10, and please remember this. You are the queens of heaven. You are the queen of the Messiah. And you stand at the right hand of Jesus Christ, as David says, like the queen in the gold of Ophir. Now, Ophir was a place in southern Arabia, reputed for very, very pure gold. And that is what you are in the eyes of our God. So don't ever fear to speak God's truth. Now, we may tend to think, oh, maybe I shouldn't say anything here because I'm so weak. Well, duh. We don't speak because we think everything about us is so slick and shiny and that we have all the answers. No, beloved. 
If you are truly of Christ, you speak because you can't help but speak the things that you have seen and heard from our God. Now, Eliphaz here looks at Job and says, Job, I'm going to try you. And I have. And I found you to be the worst of men. At least, that's what I believe he's saying here. Because first of all, in verses 1 through 10, he says, Job, you are a fool. He says, you are nothing but a blustering fool. Now, he's inconsistent in what he says, actually, because he says, on one hand, you are a wise man. But on the other hand, he says, you are uttering vanity and you are filling your belly with the east wind. The picture here is, Job, you're just spewing nonsense. That's all you're doing. He says, should you argue with useless talk or unreasonable words? Well, of course not. But beloved, how would you like to be told by your best friend, you are a blustering fool? The second condemnation comes in verses 4 through 6 in which Eliphaz not being content to call Job a long-winded fool, accuses him of gross impiety. Now, I want to call your attention to verse 4, because there are the two chief marks of piety, the fear of the Lord and prayer. When we love the Lord, we revere Him. And we don't want to offend Him with our lies and lusts and worries and sins. So we call upon him in prayer for mercy and for grace and for strength to love him even more. And those are the two main marks of piety, the fear of the Lord and prayer. But Eliphaz says, Job, you have cast off these things. You have stopped fearing God and you have stopped praying. Therefore, verse 5, your mouth is loosed and you are saying, oh, very clever things, but I am going to condemn you by the words of your own mouth. By the way, I think it's important to observe that Job did fear the Lord and continuously was praying which is why at this point he had not given up like Judas had and gone off and hung himself. So Eliphaz has got Job's situation and mindset completely twisted. Now, we have to agree that some of Job's words were out of place. Godly man that he was, he he did go too far. He should have restrained himself more. But again... None of us have been tested like Job on so many fronts at the same time without Christ. Now, Job looked to Christ, and he saw him dimly. But remember, we have him. So we can't ever go to the depths quite the same way that Job did. And yet, Job continued to cry out to God. If you remember, the very reason he wanted to debate with God was because he did fear the Lord. He, he did love the Lord. But Eliphaz accuses him otherwise. And then, of course, very pleasantly, he added in verses 7 through 10 that Job is unbelievably arrogant. So on top of being a fool, impious, a godly man, a godless man... 
you know, you don't pray, Job, and you don't fear God. So, in verses 7 through 10, he says, you are just unbelievably arrogant. Verse 7, you just think you were the first man born, that you were created before the hills. Verse 8, that you know the secrets of God and that you hold wisdom to yourself. And then in verse 9, he throws Job's prior words back into Job's face. Remember in chapter 13, verse 2, Job said, What you know, I know. Well, Eliphaz now just throws it right back into Job's face. And he says, What do you know that we don't know? What do you understand that we do not? And then he says in verse 10, Plus, we have the gray-headed and the very aged men on our side. We have antiquity on our side. And the implication here is that at least one was possibly even older than Job's father, a, a very old man. Therefore, implying what? Great wisdom. Now, the wisdom of antiquity, antiquity is not to be despised by us. But we need to remember that old age is not something that is necessarily indicative of wisdom. In Psalm 119, verses 99 and 100, we see something else besides gray hair is required to be considered wise. Starting in verse 98, Thou, through thy commandments, made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. Listen closely. The young who feed on God's word have understanding. That's why John said in John 2.14, I have written to you young men because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So the young who feed upon God's word can be much wiser than even the ancients. Because they have God's word and they build their lives upon that word. That's why Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. So it's not age that necessarily makes someone wise. But it is God's word hidden in the heart and obeyed in the life. Now it is true that the young can be wiser than the parents as Jesus was. But just like Jesus, they must be in submission to their parents. So it is important that even in the case that the children are wiser than their parents, there must still be the willingness to be guided by their elders. But a wise elder, a wise pastor, a wise parent, a a wise teacher will respect God's grace and workings in the young. And humility teaches them that God often speaks through the mouth of babes, and they need to listen. And this is, of course, a good lesson for all of us who are parents. Because if we are instructing our children and praying for them, oh, they may just grow up to be wiser than we are. And in which case, we still have authority, but we have got to wear that authority very loosely. Because at that point, they do not need us goading them with a whip. 
They need us to be there as a safeguard and as a protection. But remember, God may just honor our labors by making them wiser than us. And beloved, if we are humble, we will rejoice in this because this should be what we want. Now in verse 11, the charges continue. This is the fourth one. He basically tells Job, you hold God's comforts in contempt. What are these comforts? Well, what we have told you, Job. Eliphaz equates God's consolations or God's comforts with what he and his two friends have been telling Job. Job, you should find comfort in what we've been telling you. Now, it is true, when we are troubled, we need to go to God's Word. We can find no hope in a bottle. We can find no hope in a needle. We can find no hope in a pill. There is no hope in a psychiatrist. No hope, ultimately, in any of the things that men run to when troubles come into their life. We must be consoled by God or we will be consoled by anything however destructive it may be. But yet Job was trying here. But Eliphaz does not recognize that the Lord has given Job grace in the midst of this, and that he does understand something of what God is doing in his life, which is why he's asking the questions. Because he just can't seem to connect all of the dots here. Fifth, Eliphaz in verses 12 and 13 basically just says, Job, you're simply opposed to God. Your heart is being carried away. Verse 12, your eye is winking, mocking what we told you. You've turned your spirit against God. That is why your mouth just seems to be simply running free. Now, this wasn't true. Exactly of Job, as Eliphaz says. But it does contain a very important lesson for us. God will sift and he will test the righteous. Now, we don't have to belabor this point. This book has done that for us. But we do learn we can't ever allow ourselves, by God's grace and prayer and by seeking Him in our troubles, to forget for one moment how weak we are and how in need we are for God's help and God's strength in our lives. We don't want to become hardened and frustrated when troubles come to us, when life doesn't go like we want it to go. So we need to remember... No, no matter how much God has taught us, we do not know everything we need to know to glorify our God. And as Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8.2, if any man thinks he knows anything as he ought to know it, he doesn't know anything at all. So there needs to be a humility in our lives. So that when we feel God is whipping us and nothing is changing and we're asking, why is this happening? My, my sickness, my unruly children, financial woes or whatever it is, we must just at some level fall before the Lord and say, I, I don't understand, Lord, but I'm going to give myself into your hands 
and trust that you will do what is good and what is right toward me. What did our Lord do in his worst hours? In fact, he he did it his entire life. He threw himself on the ground and said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Then Eliphaz brings forward his main point in verses 14 through 16. He basically says, Job, you're unclean, you're sinful, you're filthy. So it is ridiculous that you're trying to justify yourself. Now, these are probably some of the truest things Eliphaz says here, not about Job, but in general. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is four. 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402-1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.